Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in this week to the conversation. This is Nutshell Politics, and my name is Justin Kinney. I hope you all had a very happy Easter this past weekend. I know I did. Now, as I announced last week, because of some recent developments in my upcoming dissertation and my kind of ongoing doctoral education, there was no new episode last Monday, and there's no new episode this week. Instead, we're going to be doing or, or looking back at a couple of my so-called greatest hits episodes, the ones that got a really great response and were some of my favorites to, to record as well. And so this week, because of the upcoming movie that comes out on Thursday, Avengers Endgame, we're going to be looking back at an episode I did a few months ago that was a tribute to Stan Lee when he passed away, where we talked about kind of the intersection between superheroes and politics and kind of the unusual relationship that they've had over the years. It was a really fascinating episode. It got a great response, as I said. And so I hope you guys really enjoy that. Now, if you think of me over the next week or so, I would really appreciate any thoughts and prayers you could send my way. It's a really important week for me, a lot going on. But without further ado, let's go ahead and take a quick 60-second commercial break and then jump right into this episode on superheroes, politics, and Stan Lee. Excelsior, and welcome to another episode of Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I will be your host today. I'm excited to be here with you guys for this week's episode. Now, just last week, we received some sad news that famous American comic book writer, editor, and publisher Stan Lee had passed away. Passed away on November the 12th. And he is probably one of the most prolific and most influential storytellers of all time, certainly of his generation. He essentially took what was a small family-run business and turned it into a cultural empire that is probably today at its peak with the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and all kinds of other things going on around with a huge multimedia conglomerate that dominates the comic industry, but also the movie-making industry these days. Now, he is probably most well-known for his collaboration with the creation, co-creation, of so many popular characters in comic books, from Spider-Man to Iron Man, the Hulk, Thor, Doctor Strange, the X-Men, Black Panther, Daredevil, the list goes on and on. And in particular, one of the things that he did is he really pioneered a new approach to how we viewed superheroes. Superheroes that existed prior to this, he is the one generally credited with the idea of turning superheroes into much more relatable characters, a much more kind of naturalistic approach. He gave them personal stories, concerns, problems that they were having in an effort to make them much more relatable to the average person that we could see them as something that, that we can actually relate to. Uh, and just as a classic example of this with Spider-Man giving him superpowers, but also you know, he's struggling with issues of being a teenager in high school from fitting in with his peers to the homecoming dance. And so this element of relatability really kind of revolutionized the comic book industry, revolutionized what we think of superheroes. And, and to this day, you know, it's it's become a huge deal. And we have the Marvel Cinematic Universe that has really taken over the movie making industry. Uh, we have the DC Universe, which is kind of trying to parallel the same thing, but with different characters from uh, Superman to Wonder Woman. And Stan Lee these days is probably most well-known for his promotions and the cameos that he makes in all of these movies. He had a cameo in, I think, pretty much every MCU movie that's been made. And so he kind of holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts, whether you, you know, reading the comic books, you know, years ago, still today, or you're a fan of the movies or the TV shows, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Daredevil. But I wanted to touch on one particular element of Stan Lee and superheroes in particular that has some implications in the political realm because superheroes 
have not always been about, you know, just fighting crime and things. They frequently touch on political issues in the comics. And this goes back to Captain America. Now, Captain America was actually created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, so not Stan Lee, but as being one of the flagship characters of Marvel Comics. He holds a particularly high level of importance and uh, notoriety among superheroes. And Stan Lee actually did contribute quite a bit to the Captain America storyline. While he did not create Captain America, he contributed to the character by issue number three. Uh, He was already starting to write and provide storylines for and to really help develop the character. Now, Captain America was actually introduced to the world in a very political way. A lot of times people think of superheroes as escapism from the real world. But the very first Captain America cover from the comic books was one of the most political ones and it's actually a very famous image now if you've if you're at all in the realm of comic books or you've read them or or anything you've seen this image it's the idea of captain america punching adolf hitler in the face and so as a little bit of a tribute to stan lee and his passing i want to talk about the role that this particular issue played in cementing the the comic book industry but also in international politics and in influencing american political opinions and kind of where we see politics and comic books kind of intervene over the years so we're going to be doing some superheroes and politics today now i i do want to emphasize that because this is international relations politics i'm not going to be touching on any of the domestic issues although superheroes have frequently kind of delved into those issues as well so this original comic strip Again, as I mentioned, it was drawn by Jack Kirby, Joe Simon, and this cover basically depicts Captain America in World War II fighting the Nazis. There's this image of him punching Adolf Hitler in the face and knocking him down. But a lot of people don't realize today, anyway, just how influential this particular cover was because the cover was actually published a whole year before America even entered the war. This comic book cover came out in about the same era as a lot of other propaganda pieces that we were seeing from some of the the heroes that we think of from DC Comics, Superman and Batman, and they were doing some propaganda pieces where they were throwing, throwing things at the leaders of the Axis powers. But interestingly, while Captain America was kind of the embodiment of the American spirit and Americana in general, this comic book cover came out long before America had even entered the war to fight the Nazis and to fight Hitler. And so when you think about this, this is, this is fascinating because they showed Captain America punching out the leader of another country, a country that the United States was not at war with, and at a time when 75% of the United States did not want to go to war with Germany. Now, that's not to say that the Nazis and Hitler were popular in the United States. They were absolutely definitely not. Uh, And most people really hoped that Great Britain was going to defeat Germany, which is why we actually had several programs to supply England with weapons. But there was still um, two kind of sentiments within America. There was still some vocal support for Germany in the United States, just because there were a lot of German immigrants here. But also, there was a lot of support for staying neutral and just leaving things alone for now, at least up until Germany showed interest in attacking the United States. And the reason for this was because historically, I remember thinking we just got out of World War One, which was absolutely, utterly devastating war on many, many fronts for a lot of different countries. And it was seen as the United States needing to, to take a step back and stay out of what, what at the time was really just a European conflict in the Second World War. And so because of this kind of sentiment of not wanting to get involved, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby with this comic book basically mocking Hitler and showing him getting punched in the face by a superhero 
actually resulted in a lot of controversy. Uh, Joe Simon actually revealed a lot later on that they received a ton of hate mail for this, some just obscene phone calls, including some, some death threats, and they actually started seeing random people show up at their building to the point where some employees of the company were fearful of leaving the office just to go out for lunch or for coffee or something like that. And so they actually had to put in a police guard at the building where Joe Simon and, and Kirby worked. But this was a particularly fascinating bit of comic book history because Joe Simon and Jack Kirby were essentially using comic strips to express their political opinions. They firmly believed that Nazism was evil as they should have. And in particular, they really very firmly believed that the United States not only should enter the war, but actually was going to very soon. And so this was not really seen by them anyway as a piece of like propaganda, but it was seen as kind of the inevitable result. They really believed that the United States needed to go to war with Germany to fight the Nazis because of the evil things that were taking place there. And so a lot of Kirby in particular, his early stories were blatantly pushing for the United States to join in the fight against Nazism. And so with the creation of the superhero known as Captain America, the writers and editors over at Marvel Comics were making a very direct political appeal to Americanism, to patriotism, and in particular to an anti-Nazism thread. And actually, if you opened up the cover of this debut title for Captain America, inside, we actually had the very first time that a president had appeared in the comic books as President Franklin Delano Roosevelt appeared. And he basically, he was used in the storyline to approve of the super soldier experiment that created Captain America's captain's backstory. If you're not familiar with that, it was a super soldier program to create the perfect soldier. And he was ultimately created to be the perfect soldier in fighting foreign threats. And he was called Captain America because, and this is a quote, because like you, Captain America, America shall gain the strength and the will to safeguard our shores. And this comic strip came out, as I said, long before we actually entered the war. But as soon as the United States did enter the war, superheroes of all stripes and backgrounds suddenly exploded across the pages. And they were all fighting some sort of Axis powers, whether they were fighting Hitler or Tojo or Mussolini and this actually gave the comic book industry a huge, huge boost. That first debut title of Captain America actually sold roughly a million copies. And most readers responded very favorably to it. As I mentioned, some did take objection. They got some hate mail and things. But the idea of like a, a patriotic superhero became very, very prominent and enduring. And throughout the World War II era, you had this huge wave of superheroes that not only started to appear in comic books, but actually were starting to be created. I mean, a lot of superheroes were introduced to American comic books either just before or during World War II. And I think a lot of this is the fact that it was very easy for, for people to identify with this. It inspired kind of a, a patriotic fervor among the population. And there were easiest, very obvious, obvious enemies that you could see, whether it was the Nazis or the Japanese or other Axis powers. And Captain America actually very quickly became the most popular character of this, this company. Um, as I should mention, at the time, the company was not called Marvel. It was actually called Timelys. But Captain America very quickly started selling close to a million copies per month after this debut issue, which actually passed some of the huge news magazines at the time, including Time magazine. But further than this, too, I want to touch on the international relations aspect of this, because as I mentioned, this was depicted as Captain America, the Americans, the, the epitome of America, 
punching a foreign leader in the face of a country that we were not at war with. I mean, this would be the equivalent of somebody putting, say, Vladimir Putin on a comic book cover and just mocking him and vilifying him and showing you know, some American punching him in the face, right? Hitler was a, a standing world leader. He was actually, he was actually democratically elected. A lot of people don't realize that. And he had a very strong military. He was marching across Europe. He had a lot of sympathizers in the United States as well, which, as I mentioned before, is a lot due, in fact, to the number of Jewish immigrants that we had here. And this wasn't the first time that comic books and stories like this had depicted you know, the Third Reich and the Nazis as kind of a, an enemy of sorts. But this was the first time that we saw Hitler himself portrayed as a character I mean, that took things to a whole other level. But Hitler himself, as a character in the comic books, to be mocked was a huge step in comic book history. It's actually, like I said, it's one of the most famous comic book covers of all time. But also, it was, it was a pretty big deal in international relations. Now, it's thought that Hitler himself e either didn't know or didn't find it particularly maddening. Otherwise, he probably would have tried to strike back at us over it. But still, the idea of putting a foreign leader on the cover really changed the way that we viewed international relations. And over time, we saw attitudes towards World War II begin to change. Now, how much of this is related to the comic book itself? I don't know. It's probably not a huge amount. But we did start to see attitudes change, which means this, this comic book by Kirby and Simon was kind of ahead of their time. And ultimately, the United States did enter the war, obviously. We did fight Hitler, and ultimately Hitler was defeated. And as World War II came to a close, a lot of superheroes and comic books kind of vanished. Without the, the very obvious enemy in the world, they didn't seem to be as, as necessary. They provided a sense of, of relation to the average citizen where we could envision ourselves fighting off against these foes and battling them with some sort of global implications. But when all that enemy went away, it didn't seem nearly as important. But even to this day, there's a lot of parallels in the MCU, the Marvel movie universe, between Hydra, the evil enemy organization, and the Nazi regime. Now, in a little bit more of a general sense, superheroes and comic books have played a pretty big role in understanding public discourse, the narrative that's being constructed around who this country is, but who the enemies are as well, and that films and comic books and TV shows can actually be really important in understanding international relations theory, you know, uh, international security studies, popular culture, because this, this analysis is really important in understanding the, the sentiment of the people, the sentiment of the public, and how they are perceiving international events being taken place. And comic books are a way to kind of construct that and influence that sentiment. One, obviously, I think particularly important note is that political events can frequently be legitimized through the way that they're perceived on either the big screen or the small page of the comic book. So when we see politics played out in, say, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're essentially seeing millions upon millions of people watch superheroes justify their actions in, in very specific ways. I mean, we see just recently there was the Marvel movie Civil War, which does not have anything to do with the American Civil War, but is about a, a kind of civil war between superheroes, where they're on opposite sides of an issue about registration and whether or not superheroes needed to register with their governments so that they could be tracked and so the government could keep a handle on who they are and where they are, or if they needed to be 
more about individual freedom and the ability to kind of operate without the same restrictions that a government would place on them. And in particular, too, a lot of it was about this idea of whether or not superheroes kind of transcend national borders and are for global security, or if they are specifically about you know, one country. Now, historically, most superheroes have been American. Comic book industry was revolutionized here in the United States. And it, you know, it's be hard pressed to find too many superheroes, especially the big famous ones who aren't representative of, of America in some capacity. But we've also seen, I mean, even characters like, like Superman, which is not Marvel, which is he's in DC universe, but he, you know, dresses in the red and blue of America. And just, there, there are very, very few superheroes who don't embody that American idea in some capacity. Now, one of the most famous ones in, in Marvel, that's not American, obviously, is Black Panther, who represents kind of a fictional African country of Wakanda. But even that is incredibly political. It may not be you know, American foreign policy necessarily, but you know, the Black Panther movie and the Black Panther storyline is one of the most political storylines in the Marvel Cinematic Universe you know, with its look at the way of the way colonialism affected Africa, uh, potentially anyway. Um, obviously, it's a fictional story about, about a fictional country and a fictional resource in vibranium. But it's a, a definite look at the way that colonialism affected Africa. But outside of Black Panther, you know, most superheroes, even, including in the Marvel Universe, embody the American ideal in some capacity. And this is really important because with an audience that is largely American as well, obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe spans across the world now, but there's a lot of cultural influence that takes place where we see the, the mechanism of legitimization work in the public as we see characters act out political ideas of individual freedom, of you know, government control, of you know, fighting the Nazis and fighting foreign enemies, the good versus evil, you know, all of these types of things legitimize the actions in the eyes of the public. As you know, today, you know, millions upon millions of people watch these characters on the cinema screen. You know, these characters created, built, developed by Stan Lee and many of these other writers like Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. And we've actually seen other elements of international politics play out in in comic books as well. A lot of people don't realize that Shield, the agency within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's uh, run by Samuel L. Jackson's character Nick Fury on the big screen, but it actually is kind of designed to represent what the United Nations might become. It doesn't represent the way the United Nations is set up today, but you could argue that it's designed to represent this idea that some sort of international or almost like a non-national organization that has authority to engage in these huge international conflicts and issues, but without requiring the authorization of every single men member state. And so S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of came along in the comic books as a potential way to look at what the UN theoretically could be, whether or not that's even a good thing. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Stan Lee is often credited as being the one who kind of pioneered a lot of superheroes and really turned them into rel relatable characters. He was not the one who created Captain America, but he played a huge role in developing the character over the years into who we know him as today from the movies. And so just a little bit about Stan Lee specifically, you know, he was uh, born in New York City. That's why so many of his characters are New York based like Spider-Man. And he was actually born with a different name. He was known as Stanley Martin Lieber. He got his name Stan Lee from taking his first name, Stanley, and just cutting it in half, doing Stan Lee. 
but he actually became an assistant at the the comic book company Timely Comics, which by the 1960s would become Marvel Comics. And actually, his very first comic book that he ever got published was a Captain America. And this is why he has such a, a huge influence over the character. Uh, Captain America Comics number three from May of 1941. It was a, a strip called Captain America Foils the Traitor's Revenge. He actually did use the name Stan Lee uh, from that very first strip, actually more out of embarrassment than anything, because the low status of comic books at the time, everybody thought it was kind of the lowest level of literary fiction. He didn't want anybody associating his real name with the comics when he someday was able to write some sort of real serious novel. Now, this early story, he essentially just was a text filler. He didn't do the, the full comic. But as time went on, he actually created, co-created, I should say, so many characters during the era of the 1940s that most historians will consider this the golden age of comic books. Now, Lee himself actually had some influence in international relations as well, some experience there. He joined the United States Army in 1942, and he served in the U.S. military as a member of the Signal Corps. So he was re responsible for repairing telegraph poles, other communications equipment, those sorts of things. But ultimately, he actually got transferred over to what's called the Training Film Division, where he helped write a lot of slogans and training films, uh, and occasionally some cartoons and things in, in propaganda, so much so that his like classification that he was given was called playwright. And so Stanley actually served uh, in, in World War II in military service up until 1945. And he went back to writing at Timely Comics and producing comic strips there. So he used a lot of his, his time in the military to influence his comic book strips. And you can see that shown in a lot of the characters and storylines that he came up with over the years. Now, in the late 1950s, the superhero kind of archetype and comic books saw a, a re-rise. They actually fell after World War II when the common enemy disappeared. But in the 1950s, they were revived again. And Lee, in particular, took this, this revival. And this, this is where we started to see him giving superheroes flaws. This idea of giving them a, a humanity. Previously, and prior to this point, most, of, most superheroes were seen as archetypes of the ideal. You know, some sort of... Uh, idealistically perfect people without any real serious problems or any problems that lasted for very long. But he really turned these characters into something much more complex and naturalistic. You know, they could uh, have issues with, as I said, with, with uh, Spider-Man, you know, growing up, typical teenage issues, bickering, you know, worrying about girlfriends, uh, paying their bills, you know, also things like having character flaws, like having a bad temper or, or depression, or sometimes even just being bored. You know, things like this that the average person could really relate to. And so as comic books started to really gain in popularity, in part because of this, we saw Stan Lee and his partner Jack Kirby, who was really the artist behind a lot of the stories, created all kinds of characters that we know and love today. In the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, Daredevil, X-Men, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, uh, and in particular, he helped really revive Captain America and turn all of this into a cross crossover superhero thing called the Avengers. And the influence that Stan Lee has had over the years is tremendous. He actually received the National Medal of Arts, which was presented to him by President George Bush at the time back in 2008. He has a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and in 2017, he was actually named a Disney legend. Now, if you know me, you know I'm a huge Disney fan, so I, I really appreciate that. And as part of this kind of legend status, he actually 
got a, a spot on the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard where you put your hands and feet and you sign it in cement. And so he's actually immortalized there as well. Now, we're actually seeing a pretty big change take place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Captain America and some of these big superheroes that first graced the the big screen in the last decade or so are leaving the, the Enterprise. Captain America in particular is thought to be either he's going to be killed off or he's going to somehow leave the universe and turn it over to kind of some of these newer heroes on the big screen, Black Panther and, and the Spider-Man movies, which are just now starting to come out. And so I think it's really interesting to look at you know superheroes and comic books and the role that they've kind of played in communicating politics to the average person in society. You know Whether you, you read comic books religiously as a kid or you're like me and didn't really get into that, but started really enjoying the movies much later on in life. The impact of comic books and superheroes on international relations and actually going the other way too with international relations topics appearing in comic book strips many many times over the years you know really kicking off with the the nazis and hitler has been immense and i would certainly look for it to continue to do so going forward i mean the the popularity of superheroes in comic books is probably at an all-time high now with the with the way that the mcu has taken off and it would not be a shock to see more political elements incorporated into films in the future now, obviously, with these type of things, they have to be very careful how they do it because of how partisan politics have gotten. But tackling political issues is not a new thing for comic books and superheroes. It's played a huge influence over the years, and I would look for it to continue to do so in the future, in part, uh, I should say in large part, due to the impact and influence that Stan Lee has had over the years. So I hope this was kind of a, an interesting topic for an episode and a fitting tribute to Stan Lee, who really revolutionized an entire industry of literature by introducing some of these the idea of the flawed hero and politics into some what were typically thought of as very low status literature the role that stanley has played over the years in many people's lives is huge in terms of overall storytelling he's probably up there you know close to people like J.R.R. tolkien or hans christian anderson or some of these classic storytellers that really created entire universes so with that, we're going to go ahead and close things out on today's episode. I really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at JustinR underscore Kinney. Please follow me there. Tweet at me. Be happy to continue the conversation on this or any other international relations topics. You can also tweet me if you have a topic you'd like me to cover in future episodes. Also, please find me on Facebook at J. Robert Kinney. That's the name I write fiction novels under. I have one book out. It's called Precipice. You can find it on Amazon. I have another book coming out very soon called Splintered State. Most likely be out before the end of November. So be looking for that. I will definitely let you guys know when that hits shelves. If you're interested in supporting me or supporting this podcast in any way, please tell your friends about it. Hit that subscribe button, write a review, and spread the word. Also, if you're interested, I have a Patreon account or you can contact me directly for advertising purposes if you'd like to advertise on this podcast. But with that, this is Nutshell Politics. I'm Justin Kinney, and in lieu of my traditional 3-2-1 countdown, we're going to end this episode the way that Stan Lee frequently liked to end his columns and episodes that he did with the Latin word for ever upward, Excelsior. Excelsior.